0: So this is the account of uh, Jesus and the blind man. So it says in John chapter 9, verse 30, The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of the, the one who was blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then they answered him, and they said, You were completely born in sin, and yet you are teaching us, and they cast him out. And then Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered him, and he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the world that those who do not see may and may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. So let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who seeks to save the lost, Lord, and is always searching out those who need you. So we just ask you to fill us with your spirit. Help us to hear what you have to say with it for us, Lord, and help us to just uh, do your will, Father, and just open our hearts and to you, Father, and to your love and to the love of Jesus. Uh, again, just fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated. So. Well, again, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, you know, I think the, the, this passage is really interesting because it talks a lot about religious hypocrisy. And I think one of the things that irritates most people in the world, and a lot of times people may blame not coming to Christ, is because there's a lot of hi- religious hypocrisy in the world, right? So you probably hear that, hey, you know, I don't want to do that because they're a religious hypocrite, right? So hypocrisy is a, is a big problem and has been for, for many, many years. Um, probably since the foundation of the world, actually. Um, but when you look at the, the scriptures here, um, just to, before we dive into ch- to verse 30, if we rewind a little bit and go into the end of chapter 8, um, Jesus is talking in the temple with the Pharisees, and he's uh, proclaiming his deity, right? So he's saying, I am the one who's come. I'm the, the, the son of God. And he says, before... He said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And then it says at the end of chapter 8, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple and going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. And then it picks up in chapter 9, and it says, now Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was born blind from birth. And that's really what we want to study this morning, is the character study of Jesus and also the character study of this man who was born blind, and also the character study of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. And so again, the the hope here is to learn and to see what religious hypocrisy can do and how dangerous it really is. And so when you look at this man when he's born blind, the Bible tells us, uh, chapter nine tells us that he was born blind from birth. And so he was a beggar, it also tells us. And so as Jesus is exiting the temple, he was basically getting threatened with being stoned to death. But his disciples are walking past the blind man. They're exiting the temple, it says. And as he passed by, the disciples said to Jesus, who sinned, his, this blind man or his parents? And so I'm assuming the blind man could, could hear every word of that, right? So when you really think about when your life is being threatened and you look at Jesus' character, he just didn't fear man. He didn't fear to take his own life he didn't count his own life as dear to himself, right? He was always pouring out his life for others. So here he is being threatened with his life. He's exiting the temple and he's walking with his disciples. And they say, they see this blind beggar. And the disciples say, Rabbi, teacher, does this man sin or did his parents sin? So I thought, I thought that was kind of odd. If I, that were me, I'd be flying out of the temple, you know, trying to find a place to hide. But Jesus takes the time. Right? He's under incredible threat to be killed, to be stoned to death. And yet he stops. He looks at the man and he says, neither he nor his parents sinned, but why? Why was he born blind? And he said that the works of God could be revealed in him. Right? So that may have been the first time that this blind man ever heard that it wasn't his fault or it wasn't his parents' fault. Right? Because all these years as people passed by as he was begging, they may have been, people may have been hurling insults at him. You deserve this. Your parents must have done something. In that day, there was a lot of, um, I guess uh, you would call it, just this thought of the day or, or this notion of the day that if you had some physical ailment or some problem, it was God was getting back at you, right? So for the first time, this man's blind, and he hears something a little bit of a different voice to say, you know what? This isn't your fault. This is because God's going to do something miraculous and amazing in your life, right? So. So now this blind man starts to say, this is a little bit of a different voice than I've heard for years where I've been mocked, I've probably been made fun of. The religious people of the day weren't really helping him, he was a beggar. And so um, we pick up in uh, chapter 30, I'm sorry, verse 30, but the bottom line is Jesus heals him, right? It's a miraculous healing. The Pharisees now are really outraged at his healing because they tried to stone Jesus in, the, in the, a few minutes prior. Now, all of a sudden, this man is healed. He goes to the pool of Siloam and washes, which was kind of a, a ritual, religious ritual. or, or and, and so he washes, gets taken to the Pharisees, and then they start interrogating him. Who did this to you? Who healed you? And so this man gets up and just states the facts. And he said, you know, Jesus healed me. And he's very honest about Jesus and what he, Jesus has done for him. And so... The Pharisees start grilling him and grilling him, interrogating him. Who did this? And so this man starts to gain a boldness as we pick up in verse 30. And the man says to him, why he has done a marvelous thing that you do not know who he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And so again, um, this man now starts to have a rebuttal to the Pharisees, which is I kind of admired this guy. He's got some, some courage now, right? Most people would just fold under that kind of pressure, right, because you've got so much interrogation coming, so much heat coming on you. But this man stands his ground and says, you know what? Um, God hears me. You know, he heard me. I've been praying this prayer for years and years and years, and he's the one that answered my, uh, my prayers. He's the one that opened my eyes. And so... Um, the Pharisees get really angry at this, right? They said, if, they said, if you were completely born in sin, he's, I'm sorry, the Pharisees said, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us, and they cast them out. And so the, the, the accusation that the Pharisees have against this man is in complete opposite of what Jesus said to him, which in the earlier part of chapter 9 says, Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And so it's just interesting to me that when Jesus kind of gives us this hope and he wants to heal us and bless us and save us, that you're always going to have this opposition, right? If we're true followers of Christ, you're going to have a lot of opposition in terms of saying, that's not right. You're a sinner. You have no right being a child of God, right? And so the Pharisees start to put this man down and interrogate and and continuing to, to, to kind of rail on him. And then it says in chapter 34, they cast them out, they throw him away. And so when you look at that, this man was born a Jew, his parents were Jewish, it tells us in chapter 9. In fact, they were even fearful of the Jewish leaders because as Jesus, um, as this man was being healed, as this man was being interrogated, the parents kind of stepped back and said, we don't want anything to do with this, just ask him, he's of age. We don't. So they were fearful of the Jews being cast out, because anyone associated with Jesus would be cast out of the synagogue. And so they didn't want that. And that was a whole lifestyle for them. When you think about the Jews in that day, the temple worship, going to synagogue, that was their whole culture, their whole family life, their whole friend life, whole—that was kind of their whole life. And so being cast out of the temple, or the synagogue at that point, was really a major... It was just horrible, right? You were just kind of an outcast at that point. And then you were kind of in no man's land because back then you had uh, Israel and Jerusalem, right? You either lived there and you were a Jew and you were you were worshiping in the temple and you had your whole protection of your family, the temple and everything, or you were kind of the Roman, Rome occupied um, Jerusalem at that time. So you, were, you weren't you were a Roman, you weren't really a Jew. So who were you? You just lost your identity, right? So. So casting someone out of the synagogue was no small uh, issue or task. So this man's now cast out. We notice in chapter 35 now that now Jesus hears of this, right? He knows all things. And now he says, it says in chapter 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And that when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? So isn't that amazing, though, that Jesus, of course, knows all things, and he come, he came to seek and save the lost, right? So this man now is cast out of the synagogue, his parents are fearful, not sure it doesn't really tell us if they want anything to do with this this young man or not, but it says it, they cast him out. Now Jesus, on the other hand, knows he's cast out, and when he had found him, he said to him, "Do you believe in the Son of God?" So the interesting thing is is that Jesus seeks him out, right? That he actually looks for him. There's hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time, and yet he, Jesus, takes the time to find the lost. Um, and so we've we've heard that in Scripture before. That he'll leave the 99 sheep and go after the one lost. And aren't aren't we glad that he'll do that? Right. He'll go after anyone who truly seeks him. And so this man is is down and out. He's he's cast out. But then Jesus finds him, and then asks him the most important question. That he ever heard in his entire life and this is a question for all of us today do you believe in the son of god and so this man now has his eyesight restored and he said to him he answered and said who is he lord that i may believe in him and jesus said you have both seen him and it is he who is talking to you and then he said lord i believe and he worshiped him and so this is the, the biggest question for all of mankind today, right? Do you believe in the Son of God? And so that's the whole crux of this, this message this morning is there's two choices we can make, right? There's In Deuteronomy, the Pharisees talk, talk about Moses, they follow Moses, they follow Moses, which, which again, Moses wrote a lot of the, a lot of the Bible and, and, the, uh, and a lot of the law, but in terms of what Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 30, he said, I set before you life and blessing and death and cursing, right? Two options. Therefore, choose life and blessing. And so this is kind of what Jesus is saying right now to this man. Do you believe in the Son of God? Because I will give you life and blessing instead of death and cursing. And then this man responds the right way. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And so this is the response that everyone, again, is going to be faced with at some point whether we believe in Jesus or we don't and what we do with that, right, with that belief. And so this man had a hunger and a thirst in his heart, and he heard the Lord Jesus. He he learned of his character. He learned of his voice. It was it was the voice of someone who, instead of condemning him, loved him and said, you know what, the, the reason you're blind is not due to sin. It's because God's going to do great works in you, right? So, so this man responds the right way, and he says, I believe. And so it's not just belief that Jesus existed, but it's belief that Jesus saved your soul, right? That He saved you from, from uh, eternity without Him, he saved you from hell and from torment, and He makes a place for us in heaven once we trust in Him. So this man now believes, and then it says he worshipped Him, and so I kind of like this because um, we don't—we're not told exactly how he worshipped Jesus. But it was just interesting this this man's enthusiasm to say, you know what he opened my eyes physically, but he also opened my eyes spiritually and now I believe and I want to worship him. And so I guess the question for us today is how do we worship God um, and, and Jesus? Do we worship really worship him? I know um, sometimes you know when we think of worship it's just you know, music and worship music, but but when we look at this man, he's just in adoration and in total love with Jesus and so much appreciation for what he's done for him. Finally, after all these years, someone stuck up for me and someone healed me and someone loves me unconditionally. And I was a beggar, blind beggar, and now Jesus has given me a future and a hope. And so this man is just worshiping, can't stop but worshiping Jesus, right? And so then Jesus says, for judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see and those who may may see may be made blind and so this is kind of talking about this man right so this man was physically blind but now he sees right he sees physically but he sees more importantly spiritually he sees who jesus really is and the son of god the one who takes away the sin of the world and then he also says that those who see may be made blind and this is where the religious pharisees and the religious leaders were so blind in their tradition, their man-made rules, that this man was healed on a Sabbath, right? So, and it says he was at the base of the temple. So no doubt the Pharisees probably walked by him hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And yet he was a beggar, right? Which is, which is a very, very sad existence for people to beg for their, for their existence, right? So they may, they may have walked by him thousands of times for years because he was born blind from birth. Imagine walking by a little blind boy, and then he becomes an adolescent, a teenager, and then he's maybe a young adult, and he's still blind begging. I mean, it would break your heart. But for some reason, when he was healed, they didn't rejoice in his healing. What did they do? You were healed on the Sabbath. That's, that, break, that broke a rule. That broke a religious rule. And so their, their hard-heartedness, their, they lost their compassion for this man, right? So that's the thing in terms of religious hypocrisy. We can get so focused on the rules, and regulations that we lose the heart, right? And that's what Jesus is heartbroken over himself for these Pharisees to say, You are blind. Why don't you open your eyes and see that this man has been begging? He's been blind for all these years. He's been restored. His eyesight is open. His eyes are open now. And now he has a heart uh, who's after me, who ch- is going to serve the true and living God. And yet you continue to interrogate him and put him down and cast him out. And so this is. This is what Jesus is so upset about, and he condemns their blindness. And so he says there, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. So they're in their stubbornness, and they're in their unwillingness to come to Jesus. It just breaks Jesus' heart, and he's getting frustrated. Now he kind of turns to chapter 10, which now it's like, okay, these guys aren't really getting it when I'm, I'm kind of talking about blindness, because this... This whole, um, this whole miracle of opening the eyes of the blind had a physical um, miracle, but also a spiritual metaphor of spiritual blindness. All right, I'm, t- I'm talking about that, but they're not getting it. All right, now I'm going to switch gears, and Jesus, I would think he's thinking, okay, I'm going to start to talk to them in a different parable or a different type of example. Maybe that'll open their eyes. And so in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so now Jesus is starting to use um, shepherd and sheep kind of language, because in that culture, and for thousands of years, um, the Pharisees and religious leaders would have known that when God uses the term shepherd, he's talking about himself. Um, they, the Pharisees loved to follow Moses. No doubt they knew David, uh, the, the author of the Psalms. And so when you think about um, Moses, he was a shepherd, right? Be- before, he, when he met God at the burning bush, he was a shepherd. And so David, King David, he was a shepherd as well. And so probably one of the most beloved Psalms in all of history is the 23rd Psalm. And it starts with the Lord is my shepherd. So this, this imagery of shepherd and sheep is very, very clear to the Pharisees. And so Jesus is saying, okay, then I would take it down to the most basic level. Let's talk about being a shepherd and a sheep. And if you don't enter by the sheepfold by the door and climb in some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, right? And so Jesus has been his birth and his resurrection and his, his um, just has been proclaimed for thousands of years in the scripture. It's, it, there's so many prophecies according to the scripture that these Pharisees should have known, but they were blinded to them, right? So this door that Jesus speaks to is the door that God opened for Jesus to come into this world, but they didn't see it. But there's other thieves that come in at different doors, right? They come in through, it says here, they come in some other way, right? As a thief and a robber. And he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so God has only one way. And it's Jesus Christ, and he is the one that sets up the door for us to enter into eternal life. But they won't believe it. It, They won't believe it. They're just completely blind to it. And he says, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so he's the one that is the doorkeeper, right? There's a lot of passages in Scripture talking about the door. Of your heart, right? Jesus is knocking the door of your heart. The question is, do we do we listen and open, and let him in, or do we just keep it shut, right? And so, this is what's happening to the the Pharisees, the religious leaders—they're keeping that door shut. And it says, the the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so, again, there's a ton of voices in this world, right? There's a ton of voices that we listen to when we look at our day what we fill our day with, what we f- fill our ears with, the voices that come into our head and so forth. And so he's saying, look, listen to my voice. And so the question is this morning, how do we listen to his voice? Um, there's There's um, been times where I'll hear some people say, hey, if I just saw a miracle, I saw Jesus appear or whatever, I'd believe in him. But the great part about Jesus is he gave us his word, right? So he speaks through his word. So my encouragement to you this morning is if you're really struggling hearing the voice of of God and you're really questioning is that he speaks through his word and so if you if you prioritize his word and his voice every day and, and meditate and pray and and search the scriptures, your his voice will be so clear it's amazing i I've had so many times in my life where I was had difficulty and I needed wisdom or something was happening and I was completely at wits end and yet. When I search the scriptures, it's right there. He spoke clear. And, and I know many of you have had that experience where it's like no other person, no other situation, no other voice I could ever think about would ever speak to me the way Jesus speaks to me through his word. So I would encourage you if you're kind of, you know, there's a lot of voices in this world and a lot of them, again, it'll, we'll talk about this, but depending on which voice you listen to it is gonna depend on what pasture you're gonna live in, right, just like a sheep. A lot of voices that the sheep could hear. If they listened to the good shepherd, he would lead them into the right pasture where there's blessing and peace and joy. And so he's saying, guys, open your eyes, open your ears, open your heart. Listen to my voice, right? So, So again, the sheep know his voice. And the only way we're going to know the voice of Jesus is by reading his word, right? Because anything else will be counterfeit, and there'll be other voices out there that try to get us off track. And it says, it said in in verse five, yet there will no means follow a stranger for they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so that's a blessing as well. The discernment that comes from knowing the word of God to know what's from him and what's not from him, where where he may lead you. You may be struggling with direction right now in your life or a lot of voices telling you things that are not healthy. Um, Obviously, Satan's going to be, Condemning you, much like the Pharisees, you're no good. You stink. You're this. You're that. Heaping on all kinds of insults and 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 all kinds of um, you know unhealthy accusations on your life. And he did it to me. I was talking to my wife this week, and she's like, "I have a new. By the way, I have a new um, respect for Pastor Tony. Like, doing this is really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's really really hard. So I'm like, wow, Tony. So my wife's like how you doing? I'm like, one minute, I'm like, I'm doing all right. And then I'm like, I, I can't do this. This is, I'm, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a knucklehead. I don't I can't do this. And then she's, ah. Oh. So the point is these voices that are coming into your head, you know, are not always from the Lord. Some, a lot of times it's the enemy trying to get into our heart, our mind, tell us we're not good enough. We're not whatever this world wants. We're just not good enough. And yet Jesus has the completely the opposite message to us. He loves us. He came to die for us. And he, his voice will reign and rule forever and ever. And so um, th- his voice is, again, through the scripture. And wasn't it a blessing last week when Pastor Tony taught a revelation that when we get to heaven, just the the, the beauty and, and the peace and the joy of heaven, what that brings. And so... Um, that Without reading that word and studying his word, we would never know what heaven's like. We would never know the beauty of God or the beauty of heaven, right? So, so we really need to, to obey his voice and through that study of scriptures, asking for a fresh filling of the spirit, praying, and so forth. And so this will, again, help us to understand the voice of Jesus, right? And so it says in, in verse six, it says, Jesus uses illustration, but they did not understand the things he spoke to them. Right, so again, Jesus is trying to be as clear and as possible. he's using a physical miracle then he's using a, a metaphor of spiritual blindness. then he switches gears and says, "Okay, you don't get that I'm going to f- switch gears and go into um, shepherd and, and sheep, which is everybody in that day knew exactly what was the metaphor of shepherd and sheep. still don't get it, so they're still holding on to their stubbornness and their pride and then in in um Verse seven, it says to them again. So he he goes back and talks to them again. Then Jesus said again, "Most assuredly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. And all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I'm the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. And so again, he's trying to emphasize the fact that if you listen to me, I'm the door." And anyone who came before me, because there was a lot of false prophets. And again, a lot of the, the religious leaders of that day wanted to gain access to the sheep, which is the, the, the flock of God, right? The, the followers of God, he, they want to gain access to them and take advantage of them. How much money can you give me? How much adoration can I get? How much can I get from you? And it's give, 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 give. But the Pharisees were very stingy on giving anything back, right? And so Jesus said, there's a lot of false prophets out there, people that'll just take from you. But he wants to give to us, right? And so he's laying his life down. He's laying his, you know, pouring his heart out to them and says, I'm the door. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture, right? And so we talked about this a few minutes ago. What kind of pasture, if we listen to Jesus's voice, what kind of pasture is he going to lead us into, right? I know from my life, the pasture he's led me into is just when I'm with him, it's just peace, joy. I just, the, the, just unmistakable uh, presence of God and just, just eternity. Um, uh, my eternity secure, and I'm just at peace with that. I'm not afraid to die. Um, there's just certain things he gives you that the world can't give you, right? And there's just so much, so many blessings, right? And so that's the pasture that he's talking about. He wants us all to live in that. Pasture with him. Now, what happens if they listened to the voice voice of the Pharisees? You live in a pasture filled with, again, condemnation, uh, grief, despair, anxiety, fear. This is kind of the the type of pasture that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were trying to create for the people, right? And so Jesus, this broke his heart. And so he wants to get them out of that pasture and move them into the pasture of life and blessing and eternity with him. And so he does say, he says, again, the thief does not come, and, um, and this is verse 10 again, does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that may, they may have it more abundantly. And so who among us doesn't want an abundant life, right? So when we talk about abundant life, I had uh, lunch with some friends yesterday. I said, all right, what, what does the abundant life in Christ mean to you? And so one of my friends said, hey, it's, it's really kind of an eye-opening experience. He kind of, it's kind of a revelation of a new life. Things just are more beautiful with Christ. You know, the trees are more green. I love people more. I'm not as upset in traffic. The Jersey brown water looks crystal blue to me now. (laughs) I was joking about that one. Um... And then I asked our other friend, what does it mean to you? And she said, I'm not, I'm just eternity with him, right? The promise of eternity. I don't care what you say. Everybody's concerned, about what happens when they die? Where do I, where am I going to spend eternity? And so for her, it was like, I just finally have peace that he's, I'm in his hands. He knows exactly what's going on in my life and I'm going to live with him forever. And so I thought it was a beautiful illustration of what the abundant life is. So this week I just had just another example of an abundant life. Um, Our son-in-law Josh, his grandmother passed away a week ago today. Um, We got to go to her service on Thursday morning and um, talk about an abundant life. I was just blown away by um, just her testimony, just her, her children, grandchildren, friends, people at the church. She just had such an abundant life. Didn't have a lot of money, didn't have the fanciest car, clothes, but she had a heart that was uh, for Jesus. And and you can just tell. She just lived an incredibly abundant life, well-loved, and just so faithful to Jesus until her breath, um, her her last breath. So again, that's the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. So I guess my question to you is, if you feel like you want an abundant life, you're not going to get it following the wrong uh, shepherd, right? Little shepherd with a little S. He'll take you into a pasture you're going to be regretting the rest of your life but if you follow Jesus, he'll take you into a pasture that you're going to have abundant life. And then in verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And so he, here he claims, and rightly so, that he is the good shepherd. Right? We talked about a lot of other shepherds that can shepherd us through our life, the little s shepherds, right which is going to lead us into a, a pasture of destruction and despair. But this shepherd is the good shepherd, and he will give his life for the sheep. When you look at all the religious leaders in this world, how many of them really would give their life for other people? But Jesus Christ laid his life down for all of us, right, that we could live. And so he's the good shepherd, and he said he gives his life for the sheep. And so when you look at Jesus' life, and you look at the way he looked at the world, right, the vision that he had for the world, he was always looking for people who were the, the, the lost, the hurting, those who he could help, those who were spiritually broken, those who were in sin that needed forgiveness. Right? That's what his vision was. He was always scanning for somebody in the crowd or on the highway or in the room that needed him most. And, yet the, and that's the shepherd we serve. On the flip side, the world is the the kind of picture maybe of the Pharisees, where our hearts get cold. We just care only about ourselves, what we can get, what we can achieve, who can follow us, how popular we're going to be. And so, when you look at this, he's the only good shepherd, and he gave his life for us. And then in verse 12 it says, "But a hireling who is not the shepherd, who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees." And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And so this is a picture of the wolf, right? That comes. And the wolf could come in many forms, right? The wolves are obviously, or the sheep are no match to the wolf, right? There's no, they don't have enough strength, they don't have speed, they don't have really any defenses against the wolf. There's no match against the wolf. But when the wolf comes and leaves, And the hireling that's a hired shepherd just sees this happening, sees this wolf coming into the pasture, and he just runs, right? And so the only true shepherd that really stays and fights for us is Jesus Christ, right? He will stay and fight and defend us, right? And he defended us with his life and his blood. And so um, that's why he is the good shepherd. He's the only shepherd that's worthy to follow in our lives, and so the rest of them are just hirelings. They come and go. Here today, gone tomorrow, what's in it for me? Um, and so those, those hirelings are, are gone. And the wolf comes and does what the wolf will do, which is scattering the sheep, breaking the sheep up. And so when you think about it, Jesus is the one who puts people together, does he not? He puts all of us together as brothers and sisters with, with a bond that can't be broken. And so he brings people together. He brings them, draws people to himself. And then in verse 13, it says the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. And in 14, it says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. So he keeps kind of repeating sort of the same kind of theme here about the hirelings and the ones who really know him and are known by him. And then in, in chapter 15, it says, as the father knows me, Even so, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so here it's a beautiful picture because, again, it goes back to hearing the voice and knowing the sheep and knowing us, right? And so, again, the Father knows us. Every detail of our lives, every challenge we have right now, every fear, every anxiety, every health issue, financial issue, relational issue, spiritual. He knows every detail about us, and he loves us and cares about us. And again, loves us so much that he gave Jesus his only son, the only perfect man to ever live, right? How much he must have loved the son and give him up for, on the cross for our sakes. And so um, it says here that, that there's going to be one flock and so at that time, obviously, Jesus, growing up a Jew, a lot of the, the Jewish community and, and Pharisees would say, okay, Gentiles were unclean. They're, they're really not part of our, our faith. So, you know, just kind of keep the Gentiles out. And But Jesus saying, no, he came to die for the whole world. He loves everybody in this world. And there's going to be one flock of believers that come together that truly believe and trust in Jesus Christ with their heart. And that's going to create one flock, right, one family, and so, but we have to listen to his voice, right? And so in verse 17, it says, Therefore, my father loves me because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. And so, again, Jesus is the only one that has the power over death, right? The Bible says, you know, uh, Paul will say, Death, where is your, your sting? Where is your victory, right? There's, there's, there's no, at that point, Jesus took the sting away because this life is just a little vapor says the bible says our life is a bit of vapor in the span of eternity right we're just we're just here for a short time in the span of all of eternity you're here for a short time and so um jesus is just talking about okay i've given my life i raise it again let's start thinking more about eternal life now i can i'm going to give up my life but i'm going to take it up again i'm the only one that has the power to do that and the only one to to do that is god to be able to raise um, jesus from the dead he was fully God and fully human so he raised up himself up from the dead and he's the only one to do that he has that power um, and this command he says I received from my father and so he lays this picture out talking about the heavenly father and, and heaven and his voice and how to follow him and, and this beautiful picture and yet it says in verse 19 it creates a division again therefore there is division again among the Jews because of these sayings And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so really there's going to be two choices. We talked about two choices in our lives. There's a division there, right? The ones who listen to Jesus and believe in him and trust him. Or there's others that are going to mock and say, he's a demon. He's mad. Why do you listen to him? And so the world's going to pretty much be saying the same thing to us every day. Or if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, it might be saying, "Don't don't listen to him. He's a demon. He's a madman. Why would you li- ever listen to Jesus?" But then there's others that might say, "Those are the words. Those are not the words of a demon. They bring life. He opened the eyes of the blind. He, he's done miracles. He he looks to seek and save the lost. He heals and blesses and loves and forgives everybody he comes in contact with. Why would you?" him down why would you ever say he has a demon and can a demon open the eyes of the blind and the answer is no and now it's going to switch to a little bit of a different topic it's going to be a different place so now it says in verse 22 it says now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter so now Jesus is in a different a little bit of a different location here but he was back in the temple though it says in verse 23 it says, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And so here we are, Jesus, if you remember from the previous chapter, chapter 8, they're about to pick up stones. At the end of chapter 8, they're about to pick up stones and stone them to death on the way out of the temple. He leaves the temple, heals the blind man, has this beautiful picture of him as the shepherd and so forth, and now he's, it's the Feast of Dedication, which is kind of modern-day would-be Hanukkah um, celebration. And it was winter. It was, the Bible says it was stormy. And he was back in the temple. And so it's kind of interesting that you know, the very place they wanted to kill Jesus, he goes back to the temple, right, because he's a true worshiper. He's not fearing man. He's not fearing what they can do to him. He's not fearing anything that can happen to him. He's back in the temple on Solomon's porch. And so here we go again. The Jews the Jew surround him and said to him, how long will you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And so what they're trying to do here is bait him, because if he says he's the Messiah, um, that, that kind of came, the, the term Messiah came, along with that came some political and, and uh, maybe some, uh, some uh, what would you call it? I guess, a Military might, right? So they they were so upset by being occupied by Rome that they wanted a Messiah to come in and be, you know, swords and killing mil- millions of Romans and so forth. They really wanted a physical Messiah that would come back and be a warrior king and and kill all of their enemies, and so they weren't really looking for a loving, peaceful Messiah. They were looking for more of a warrior Messiah. So they were trying to bait him into said, okay, he's you know, are you really the warrior Messiah or not? And so Jesus said. In 20, verse 25, I told you, and do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So it wasn't that Jesus was being subtle about who he was. He was very, very open with that he was the Son of God. That he came in, in terms of uh, through the prophecies of, of of Scripture. That he would do miracles. He, he he would talk to him openly about who he was and why he was there but they just wouldn't want to believe. They were trying to bait him into saying something that would, they, could, they could accuse him in a court of law and again, crucify him. And so they were trying to bait him with this. And he said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness in me. And so again, when we look at the whole, all the gospels and all of what Christ has done in the lives of all the people, it's been nothing but blessing, has it not? Everything he's done, it's been forgiveness, healing, blessing, kindness to every soul that that encountered him. So there was really nothing they could accuse him of, right? Because everything that he did was, was really perfect, right? But he says in verse 26, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch, me, snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. And so he goes back to them and says, okay, you're just still not believing. You're not getting this. My father, that all the works I do, they bear witness of me. But that you will still not believe because you're not my sheep. And then it goes back again to his voice. They hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And it says this promise in verse 28, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and they shall not, I'm sorry, neither anyone shall, anyone snatch them out of my hand, as my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And isn't it great to know that we're in our Father's hand? Whatever we're going through right, right now, whatever we're going through this morning, it could be a physical problem that you're struggling with, that you need healing from financial, emotional, relational. It could be a spiritual battle. But we're in the, the palm of our Father's hand, right? And that really relieves the anxiety. I remember as I was struggling with my faith, kind of as a young man, I went through a lot of anxiety and some panic attacks and some crazy crazy times. And I thought I would, I, I know as a believer, I knew Jesus loved me, but it wasn't until I kind of pictured myself in the palm of my father's hand that everything became peaceful. And I just, you know, for the first time really surrendered. I was kind of a card carrying worry I don't know if anybody is a, is one of those, but I was a card carrying worry wart for years. And so for me, it was just that moment where, you know, I just pictured when I read this verse, it was like, you're not, you're not released. You're not in my hand yet, Brad. Just come to me and just surrender on and, and i'm going to take care of you so now i'm the father's hand right and so no one's able to snatch us from his hand we're in his palm, hand the palm of his hand and so there's no one that can snatch you from the palm of his hand the devil can't take you out of his hand no one can take you out of the, the palm of his hand and so one of the the um, verses that i love is isaiah 41 and i'm just going to go back to my notes here um if you're, if you're familiar with uh, Isaiah 41, uh, it's, it's both a promise and a command, right? And so it says in, in Isaiah 41, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I just love that verse because it says, fear not. This world is gripped with fear and anxiety. People are scared about every single thing to come down the pike. And he's telling us it's not just a, a suggestion, it's a command. Fear not. And it's a promise. Fear not. For I will be with you. Be not dismayed. That means don't be terrified. Don't be too anxious. Don't, don't, don't just be, be uh, uh, in an anxious state of, of fear your whole life. For I am your God. And he said, I'm going to strengthen you. Yes, I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So that verse just spoke to my heart, and it's been a blessing. And so this morning, I guess in terms of some key takeaways, um, number one, you know, maybe some of us are somewhat spiritually blind this morning to certain things that are happening, or maybe you don't know Christ as Savior. Maybe he's been knocking on the door of your heart. You've been kind of thinking about You kind of are learning about his character, maybe his word, but you haven't really... Um, given your heart to him yet. So I'm here to tell you this morning it's the best decision you'll ever make. So if you if you don't know Christ, I would encourage you to pray and to accept him as Savior. I guess the other thing is we as believers, if it, it could be a few months, years, several years, we could start to get to be hypocrites as well. So we have to just pray that, that that we can get, our hearts can become hard, right, to those things that are around us, those opportunities to bless people and minister to people. We could kind of be like the, in in the parable of the good Samaritan, you know, the religious people who kind of walk on the other side of the street when someone is in need, right? So if we're getting to that point, just maybe it's time to take inventory of, are we, are we getting kind of too religious and not, you know, in the right relationship with Christ with a soft and tender heart to serve him the way he wants to be served instead of serving ourselves. And so maybe that's a prayer for us this morning. If we're kind of getting to be hypocritical, right. Um, With our faith, um, Third, if if you're gripped with anxiety, or you're in fear, or you're worried about something, um, I can tell you just from experience that God loves you. He has you in the palm of his hand, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. And he'll always be your God, both now and forever. So let's pray.